United Church of Christ presents We Are Not the Source. The reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, January 21st, 2024. Please pray with me. Holy One, giver and sustainer of our lives, be in the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, for surely you are the way maker, the way, and the end of all our journeying. Amen. Today's gospel story, the one about ordinary fishermen, two brothers casting their nets into the sea, two other brothers mending their nets with their father and the family's hired hands, this story is one of the very first stories about Jesus that I learned as a child. And I remember loving it. I didn't love it because I was especially impressed with the alacrity with which the four men dropped everything they were doing and walked out of one life and into another. It was not because I was in the least bit curious about whether Jesus knew that these four fishermen were the particular ones he wanted, or if he walked along calling all the fisher folk, and the, the four in the Bible are the ones that happened to respond. I didn't pause to wonder if they were the only fishermen out that day, and if they were, why? I didn't pause to wonder if this was the first time Jesus had passed along the Sea of Galilee, or if he'd been passing by for days and weeks, sizing the people up, working out who it was he wanted to call. I didn't wonder about any of that. I think I can be excused, though. I was only little, five or six at the most. What did impress me that day and stick with me for years and years was the earworm of a song that our associate minister taught us about becoming fishers of people. I'm sure many of you also learned it at Vacation Bible School. I will make you fishers. It was the 60s, so we sang men instead of people. I won't sing the whole thing because you do not need that earworm in your life. Now, as a kindergarten student, I had no idea what any of that might mean. But I knew that my dad was a fisherman. And I knew that he and his fishing buddy and best friend, Frank, had been initiating my brother and Frank's son, Michael, into the ways of being a fisherman. And they would disappear for whole Saturdays and whole weekends off at a nearby lake. And I wanted in. During that same vacation Bible school afternoon, when I was learning that song about fishing for people, our young minister also read us the story of the little engine that could. You know, the one with the, ref the annoying refrain, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And the moral lesson that even a very small person determined to help someone can carry a heavy load and make it to the top of the mountain by willpower, self-belief, and the encouragement of a few friends. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. In my childish mind, the two stories became entwined, and I'm not sure that I have disentangled them still. Of course, as I got older, I was offered the evangelical version of what this story of fishing for people means, that it is the job of every good disciple of Jesus to catch other people for the kingdom of God. As a historian of American, 
American religion, I have read a rather appalling number of truly terrible sermons using the metaphors of fishing line and bait and reeling in converts for Jesus. It's awful. Even when I was surrounded by enthusiastic evangelicals as a high school student, I found this concept of snagging souls for Jesus really repellent. I credit that long ago young pastor with connecting the ideas of giving everything you have, even against impossible odds, in service to other human beings, to get them what they need with the idea of fishing for people. As childhood theology goes, I think it mostly stands the test of time. Here's what I notice about the story now. That in some way, the arrest of John triggered something for Jesus and initiated a new direction in his life. He seems to immediately have moved to Galilee and begun announcing the realm of God, and not just announcing it, but enacting the realm by acts in defiance of oppressive powers. When he passed along the sea that day, whether it was his first glimpse of those people or a well-considered and specific invitation, he simply said, follow me. He did not say, I want you to know and understand this body of new information. He did not say, you have to believe the following propositions about the nature and being of God and the meaning of human life. He just said, follow me. And then, for most of the rest of the Gospel of Mark, he spent his time with his disciples around him, not mostly teaching them about anything with words, but in ministries of compassion and deliverance. Follow me. Gather people in, just like a fisher person gathers fish in a net. Gather them in to welcome them, uplift them, heal them, Offer them deliverance from the things that are oppressing them. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus sums up discipleship this way. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. You don't remember having tended to me in any of those ways. I remember. Because whenever you did it to the person considered last and least, you did it to me. This is the gospel of love. Not love that begins and ends in only tender feelings, but love as acts of service, compassion, and justice. There is no end to the number of people who are hungry, thirsty, unclothed. No end to strangers in a new place, refugees streaming from one place to another for safety. There is no shortage of prisoners mired in loneliness. There is a seemingly endless capacity, human capacity, to create political and economic systems that keep some people hungry and thirsty, unclothed, and imprisoned on purpose. With full-blown war in Ukraine, Sudan, and Gaza, and rumors and threats of war every day in the news, with American money and moral support going to aid the horror of Israel's devastating 
and disproportionate response to the attacks of October 7th. There is no end of ways to follow Jesus in acts of compassion and deliverance. Everywhere you look is an opportunity. I comfort myself, I confront myself, often with these words from the Mishnah, that Jewish teaching book, body of Jewish teaching and wisdom. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. I know we've all heard it before, but it's helpful to be reminded. You do not need to complete it, but you cannot stop participating in it. Those are my words of confrontation to myself. And I comfort myself with Maya Angelou's words. My wish for you is that you continue. Continue to be who and how you are to astonish a mean world with your acts of kindness. Continue in a society dark with cruelty to let the people hear the grandeur of God in the peals of your laughter. Continue. Continue to remind the people that each is as good as the other and that no one is beneath nor above you. Continue. Continue to put the mantle of your protection around the bodies of the young and the defenseless. Continue to take the hand of the despised and diseased and walk proudly with them in the high street. Continue to dare to love deeply and risk everything for the good thing. Continue. 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 I want to be encouraged by all these words, and I am, but I confess that I am also sometimes just overwhelmed by the endless need. And that drumbeat underneath suggesting that if you think you can hard enough, you should be able to fix it all. I came across a post on Instagram a week or two ago, not usually a place known for great wisdom, but I mean, usually I go there for kitty videos, but, but this particular post really stuck in my mind. It was written by Scott Erickson, author of the book and one-man performance, Say Yes. He wrote, I am reminded today that we can only give what we have already received. I'm always caught off guard when I find I have nothing to offer except bitterness and complaining, because it has been so long since I have drawn from the well of love. We are not the source, but a conduit in which the source can flow, receiving nourishment as it goes. How do we do this? Get that which is in the way of love out of the way. Banish your meritocracy lie. Turn off your phone of comparison. Stop saying to yourself the horrible whatever you in particular say when you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror. Instead say, who is that? Breathe deeply for a while until you notice the gift of breathing. Repeat the quote, this quote from the giver of life. I love you. Repeat it until you stop running away from it. Cry, rage, cry, be still. Say thank you for all that is because it is when it doesn't have to be. Forgive reality because it is not what you wish it would be. Be forgiven by reality because you're not what you wish you would be.
go on a long walk and just listen. I read that and I was reminded that the same Jesus who said to the fishermen and to us, follow me, also said to them and to us, come away with me to a lonely place and rest a while. These words stuck with me, but somehow they didn't show up in my practice. I am unable to bear much sitting silent meditation because I have tinnitus, which is a loud ringing in the ears, which the more silent you become, the louder the ringing becomes. It's a whole thing. So usually my meditation is a walking meditation, but the ice and a knee a little bit too slow to heal has kept me from that. So my prayer life has felt a little bit like the hamster wheel of my mind, which I cannot seem to escape. And then the other day, my son texted me and he said, breath breath prayers please, Mama. Lauren is in her third round of interviews. His partner, Lauren, was asked to apply for a job that she didn't know that she was even wanted. But once she got interviewed once, she got really excited. I'll tell you more when we find out more. Anyway, she was very excited, but also nervous. She's a very young person to be interviewing for the particular job. I happened to be sitting already in the chair where I practice breath prayer. So I immediately began my own probably mangled version of the ancient Tibetan practice of Tonglen breath prayer. I began by breathing in and imagining the sky above me, wide, spacious, Colorado blue sky, and beneath me, the unending well of Christ's love. I breathed in again, and this time I breathed in all of the anxiety and self-doubt I knew that Lauren was carrying. Not into me, but through me, into that well of Christ's love. And then I breathed out to her, calm and clarity and centeredness. Not from me, through me. Then my son's faces and my husband's face came into my mind, and I sat there beside the well of love and breathed love toward them. And then one by one, the names and faces of everyone I care about, all of you, came to me, and I sat holding each one in that stream of love. And in that, breathing in and out, my restlessness was healed. Not when I asked in a hamster mind way, fix me, fix me. When I stopped and breathed through myself into the love of Christ, then I found I was being held. Jesus said, follow me, and led his disciples into a life of commitment and acts of compassion, deliverance, and justice. Jesus also said, come away with me to a separate place and rest a while. We cannot act unless we also rest. We are not the source, but we get to be nourished by the source of life and pour that nourishment out into the world. So I invite you now to pause with me as we together breathe and rest. Imagine yourself sitting under a great, spacious, open blue sky beside an unending well of compassion and know yourself beloved. <laughs> 